Well, good morning. Uh, happy Easter to you and uh, happy April Fool's Day. I don't know who in the world allowed that to happen, but it seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? I was trying to think back in my lifetime uh, when April 1st had ever fallen on Easter. And if it did, I was too young to even pay attention to what day of the week it was, much less the date on a calendar. So I don't know. Perhaps you do, but it is good to see you. And I want to echo uh, Steve's welcome to everyone here this morning. And whether you are visiting with family, whether you found us on Google, uh, whether you have uh, just kind of wandered by, we want you to know that your presence is a blessing to us this morning. And there's always a place for you here at Summers Avenue. So it's good to see all of you. We had a very busy weekend. And so we took a group up to Rogers, Arkansas, for our annual Leadership Training for Christ convention. And so uh, with Chad Necessary and, and Tammy helped organize this, and they begin in the fall. And so uh, the, the, the kids choose different areas, and they get to, to practice and work on this, and it culminates in this Easter weekend convention where they get to do song leading and, and scripture reading, and they do uh, artwork, present their artwork and puppets and all. And so uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, Chad's going to be uh, giving us a, a kind of a report, and we'll get the awards from that, and you'll get to see uh, some of, and from the kids what they uh, have worked on and, and were ready. But we had a great weekend, and I appreciate so much uh, the organization that goes into that, not just with Chad, who kind of, you know, spins the, the plate, but everybody who's involved in helping the kids, and especially the parents. Uh, who encouraged them, uh, the ones who were able to go, and uh, we appreciate that so much. It gives us encouragement uh, being a part of Summers Avenue here. So so a young man goes to a candy store, and he says, uh, I want three boxes of candy. And so he says, I need a $10 box, I need a $20 box, and I need a $50 box of candy. And so the man behind the counter says, well, young fellow, you must really like candy. He says, well, I, I've got a special date coming up. He said, and so if, if when I take her home and she shakes my hand, I'm going to give her the $10 box of candy. If she gives me a hug at the end of that date, well, I'm going to give her that $20 box of candy. But if she'll kiss me goodnight, she's going to get the $50 box of candy. And so the young man got his three boxes of candy and he left. And so it came the evening for the date. And so he shows up at the house, door opens, and the young lady says, Hey, my, my parents want you to come in and, and have dinner with us before we go out. And so he goes inside and, and he sits down at the table there. And the dad says, uh, you know, Young man, it's our family tradition that we say a prayer before each meal. So would, would you say our prayer for us tonight? So that young man bowed his head and he prayed the most intense, the most fervent, the most spiritual prayer you could ever imagine being prayed. And so when he said amen, he concluded it. His date leaned over and she said, I had no idea that you were that spiritual. And he whispered back, I had no idea that your dad owned a candy store. So, yeah, you know, and we, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been in moments where we need a big prayer. We need God to come through in a big way, right? And if you've ever entered that moment with any kind of, of limited certainty, then you're in good company today. Because I think this room is full of folks who enter into times of prayer with limited certainty. And so you'll be blessed, I think, at what we're going to find in Acts chapter 12 today. Our series called Ripples, we've been in for, for several weeks now going through uh, the book of Acts and looking at the, the birth of the church and its expansion, its migration, if you will, from a, a central message focus 
to a worldwide focus. And so we're, we're traveling through this, uh, considering the events after Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection and how the impact of that and the people that He touched and those who put their faith in Him carried that impact like ripples across the landscape of, of the earth. And so the church, in doing that, had to break past certain barriers individually and, and collectively. They had to break past some, some barriers, some hurdles to become this global movement of God. And so in Acts chapter 12, we find this story of intrigue and this story of suspense and this story of, of danger and, and even, I think, in some ways, a little bit of humor. So we're in Acts chapter 12 this morning. We're going to begin in verse 1. So about that time, King Herod laid hands on some from the church to harm them. And he had James, the brother of John, executed with a sword. Now, this is the first of the apostles to be martyred for the cause of Christ. We read over this sometimes. But you think about everything that, that, that you've read and, and studied and heard. Can you imagine if you had lived through the Gospels? You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write about Jesus' life on this earth. So these apostles, hand-selected by Jesus, walking with Him, witnessing this, this death, this burial, and then this resurrection, and now going out to carry out His message, and now we've got James, the first one who's tasting the bitter root of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so he's the first one to be martyred here, executed here. And so when he saw that this pleased the Jews... Herod proceeded to arrest Peter too. This took place during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, handing him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. And so Herod goes overboard. And in just a moment, we'll see why. So Herod planned to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but those in the church were earnestly praying to God for him. And on that very night, before Herod was going to bring him out for trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the prison cell. He, the angel, struck Peter on the side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. I always think about, Fasten your seatbelt, brother, because you ain't seen nothing yet. Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. And Peter did so. Then the angel said to him, put on your cloak and follow me. So Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening through the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Peter had been sent. God had been sending some visions, right? The sheet came down and the food and all. So Peter's like, he's trying to figure out, is this real? Is this? So after they had passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went outside and walked down one narrow street when at once the angel left him. Now, doesn't it sound like Star Wars? Some of you Star Wars nerds here, you know, you've got walking past guards and doors opening. These are not the disciples you were looking for, you know, and this kind of happening here. So you can imagine the scene. And so Peter is, is witnessing all, or hoping he's witnessing all this, trying to figure out what's going on here. And when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent His angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from everything the Jewish people were expecting to happen. And when Peter realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many people had gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the outer gate, a slave girl named Rhoda answered. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she did not open the gate, but she ran back in and told them that Peter was standing at the gate. But they said to her, you've lost your mind. But she kept insisting that it was Peter. And they kept saying, it's his angel. And so now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were greatly astonished. And he motioned to them with his hand to be quiet and then related how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said, tell James and the brothers these things. And then he left and went to another place. Now, when I read this story, there are two things that jump out at me. And so you've got here, first of all, Peter was kept in prison, but the church, what, was earnestly praying to God for him. And then the second thing that jumps out to me is when they saw it was Peter, they were astonished. (laughs) So you've got the church earnestly praying for Peter's safety, and then they see Peter, and they can't believe it. Can you feel this tension? Have you ever been there? If you've been in this position, you were earnestly asking God for, to do something, and then totally surprised when He actually did it. I think we've all been there, haven't we? We've all prayed earnestly to an unlimited God and had this limited faith, limited hope, or limited confidence that sometimes we carry around with us. And why do we pray these limited prayers to an unlimited God? A God without bounds, without boundaries. Why do we do that? Maybe because we have too many memories of no. Sometimes that can limit our prayers. And so I'm not saying unanswered prayers in that regard. People will say, well, you know, God just didn't answer my prayer. No. Prayer is too precious to God. He responds to every prayer, just not always the way we think. God does not take the most trivial prayer and put it in His circular file. You guys know what a circular file is, right? It's a trash can. God doesn't do that. Every one of them is precious. God responds to every prayer. And sometimes the answer is no. Like with the Apostle James. So you've got King Herod here who's a politician. And King Herod cared about what? Approval ratings. That's what kept him in position and power. So have you noticed in Acts here how every time the church moves past a barrier, persecution comes, right? Some hardship falls upon them. In Acts 7, you had Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel of Jesus and and so that Jesus could move us past the confines of the temple, past this this Jewish-centered religion into a worldwide acceptance for all who the Lord our God calls unto Himself. So Stephen's preaching this, and persecution came, right? And so in Acts 10 and 11, when Cornelius and the Gentiles are accepted into the church, persecution comes. And then we got Herod who finds out when he attacks the church, his approval goes up. He's like you know, Pavlov's dog. I figured out what, what keeps Rome off my back. I'm going to persecute these Christians we got the same enemy, don't we? So he arrests James. And word goes out throughout the city. Hey, James is in prison. And they did this once before in Acts chapter 5. And so you had the apostles arrested. And God broke them out of prison, right? You remember that a few weeks ago? So now James is in prison. Everybody, come together. Let's get in our prayer groups and let's pray to God that He'll bust them out. And James died. James died. And now Peter gets arrested. And the word goes out again. Hey, everybody, we've got to get together. 
We've got to get together and pray. Peter's in prison. And every single Christian showed up at that prayer meeting with the memory that we did this once before. And it didn't work. And you've been there. And you remember times when you, you were asked to pray about something which you had prayed about before. Maybe to the point of sweating drops of blood. And from your perspective, it hadn't done any good. It didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. And so you, you prayed and you prayed for healing right up until the funeral. And now you have a friend that comes to you. Will you pray for my loved one who has this cancer, this disease? Will you pray for them for their healing? And you agree to it, but you're still remembering. You can't, you can't not remember. I've done this before. I've done this before. You prayed for a child. And there's no child. And yet a co-worker comes up and says, Hey, my, my husband and I, we, we want to have children. Will you pray for us? Well, we've been there. We've asked God for a better job. We've asked God for our kids to stop their rebellion. We've asked for friends to be healed and it feels like God's left the receiver off. 30 of y'all have no idea what that means. God's cell battery went dead. He lost a signal. Something's not getting through. And intellectually, intellectually, I know God's not paralyzed by my prayers. God is sovereign and God can do whatever, whenever, however He wants. I know that when I'm in the classroom of my mind. When I'm in my reasoning in the classroom, I know that God knows what's best, even when I don't know what is best. But when I leave that classroom, and I go into my prayer closet, and now I'm praying, I take with me the memory of all the times I prayed and did not get the answer that I hoped for. And the fire of my prayer life is dimmed. And Satan's whisper becomes a deafening. Why even bother? Why even bother? And you've been there. And another thing that can limit our prayers is confusion about what even to pray for. What do we even pray for? Where do we even start? We face the, the choices where we don't know what's the best thing to pray. You're praying for a new job to take care of your family and you hear about a job you can get, but it requires you to uproot your family and move to another town. But you love the church that you're connected to. The kids are doing great in school. What am I supposed to do? God, I don't know what to pray for here. I don't know. And you have a relative you love who's near death. Do you pray that for God to take them soon, take them painlessly? To remove this? Or do you pray that God gives them more days even though it means they may suffer more? What do you do? What do you do? Maybe sometimes you feel like this woman from Virginia who's faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Marianne Nolan of Richmond chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. And so when James went to prison, they prayed, God, bust him out just like you did earlier. We know how good you are breaking people out of prison. And James died. James died. And now Peter's in prison. The first night, Lord, get him out of prison. The second night, Lord, you're going to get him out of prison, right? 
And by the third night, the night before the trial, Peter is 24 hours from his possible, probable execution. Do you think their prayers changed? you think it changed any? Were they even still sure what to pray by this point? Maybe they started praying, Lord, please deliver him from fear so that he won't deny you again. Maybe they prayed that. Maybe they prayed, Lord, give him courage. Give him courage in this moment. Maybe they started praying, Lord, would you please stop letting the apostles get arrested? Maybe they prayed that. And if you've ever not known what to pray, you're in good company today. You're in good company. And I hope this encourages you. I want this to be encouraging as we realize one of our the, the, the struggles of living by faith is this very thing. It's how and what and when to pray. And trusting God. Trusting Him. Remember the Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, he writes a letter to Christians and we call it Philippians. And so Philippians chapter 1 In verse 23, he says, I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And so the Apostle Paul says, I don't know what to pray. I'm ready to depart, but I also want to be with you. I don't know what to pray. If the Apostle Paul struggled with what and how and when to pray, there's certainly going to be times when we do that. And you've gone to your knees and... You've gone to your knees and the words weren't there, right? I certainly have. I've prayed, Lord, I've, I've been here time after time after time, and I don't know how to say this prayer any different. I don't know what I'm missing here. I don't know what else to say. But the good news is, God is not up in heaven saying, well, I'm not going to do anything because they're so confused. God's not saying that. God's movement, God's decision, God's action does not determine, not is determined by my understanding and my ability to comprehend. God is not contained by my inability. But it can be hard to pray when I do not and cannot see what God sees. It is hard. Because another thing that limits our, our prayer is a lack of awareness of what God is up to. And so Herod heard about Peter's prison breaks. <laughs> he said, not in my prison. You're not breaking out of my prison. See, though, he's got some overkill going on here too. And so in verse 4, Herod put him in prison, handing him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. You ain't breaking out of my prison. So Herod guarded the room that Peter was in. But Herod could not guard the throne room of God. And so the church was earnestly praying for Peter. And Peter needs some credit here because the brother is asleep. Peter's sleeping on the eve of his probable execution here. And how cool is that? The peace that passes understanding. It's the night before the trial. This night that's going to decide his life. 24 hours from possible execution, he's asleep, sound asleep. And that tells me that Peter was not full of fear. Peter was not full of worry. Peter was full of Jesus. Peter was full of Jesus. You remember in the Gospels when 
the disciples are out in a boat and they get caught up in this terrible storm, life-threatening storm, and they're freaking out. And Jesus is where? He's in the back of the boat snoring. And so they go to Him, how can you sleep in a time like this? Because He is the Prince of Peace. That's how. And that's why outward circumstances do not disturb our inner peace. And so Peter is so sound asleep that the angel has to kick him to wake him up. Angels appearing, chains dropping, doors opening. What a marvelous sight. This is amazing to see all of this. And Peter's prayer group had no clue. They didn't know what was going on. Where are they at? They were across town, hiding, praying for Him. Think about that. They're praying for God to do something, not realizing that God's already doing it. And so there are times in my life, and I assume with yours also, when I look back with benefit of hindsight, and I can see how God was working out an answer when I didn't think God was listening. At the time, I couldn't see anything at all. And there's usually considerable lag time between what God is doing and our awareness of what it is that He's doing. And so we have that, the wait. We've talked about that before. Living in the wait. And we go join a community. We get together with a bunch of people who are as equally blind about it as we are. And sometimes our mutual blindness can lead to mutual discouragement. So maybe what limits prayer more than anything else is low expectations. And I find a bit funny how it's easier for God to get Peter out of prison than to get him back into the church community. <laughs> it wouldn't let him in. And so Rhoda hears Peter and runs, runs inside. Peter's here! And they're like, hush girl, we're praying for Peter! Silence! And so faith in Jesus is not a vaccine against skepticism. Because it still creeps in. Remember when Moses was commanded by God, you go and you're going to tell the Israelites, you're going to tell them that the Lord their God is going to deliver them and you're going to lead them out for me from the hand of the Egyptians. And so Moses was hesitant. Um, yeah, God, there's this thing where, uh, you know, they haven't, we haven't heard from you in a while, and, you know, some of them don't really know who you are, and uh, who am I supposed to say sent me? What am I supposed to say here? In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 14, we read, God said to Moses, I am that I am. And he said, You must say this to the Israelites I am has sent me to you. And so we study and we read and we talk about how active God was in the past and we set our hopes on what God has promised and going to do in the future, but we still struggle with seeing what God is doing right now. We struggle with that. And that will limit your prayer life. See, God's name is not I was. His name is I am. And the reason we have these miracle stories in the Bible is not to teach us what God used to do, but to tell us what God can do. That's what they're up for. And so how much has the church failed to claim victory for God because we don't pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? God, help us get to heaven. God, help us be Jesus today. And so here's the good news. God will be active even when our prayers are not, because God is not limited by the limitations of our own prayers. You do not need special words to speak to God, nor do you need special credentials to speak to God. And when we are baptized and we receive God's Spirit, as we read in Acts chapter 2, we can be assured that what we hope for in prayer is clearly communicated to God. 
Because in Romans 8 and verse 26, we read in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. That's the Lord knows the mind of His Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. Even when we think we know what we want, God knows what we need. He knows what we need. He knows when and how to best do what He knows is best to do. And so His ability to deliver is not limited by our limited understanding or our limited request or our limited vision or the limitations of our faith. And so think about this. What has been the most fervent, one of our most probably fervent prayers, national prayers, since September 11, 2001? What has it been? Lord, protect us from terrorism, right? That's been one of our national prayers, if you will. So over the, the, the last 1,300 years, there has been only one period of history where Christianity has impacted the Muslim world. One time. But in the last 15 or so years, there have been nearly 70 significant moments of advancement of Christianity in the Muslim world. What made the difference? Terrorism. That's what made the difference. The very thing we pray against and rightly detest and are horrified by, God is using to bring faith to the Muslim world. And over 90% of those affected by Islamic terrorists are Muslims. And 86% of the Muslim population have never met a Christian personally. Why? Because Christians won't go where they are. So it would seem that God is immigrating Muslims to the Christian world. Hmm. seems God is about doing something we cannot see. He's not limited by our short-sighted prayers. Think about Joseph. Remember, Joseph was betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And so through a series of events, he came to be the, the Savior, the, the Deliverer, basically, of the Egyptian nation. Not only the Egyptian nation, but of his family as well during that famine. You remember this? And Joseph said to his brothers... At the time, that the, the end of this ordeal, when he allowed them to put all the pieces together and figure out who he was, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, As for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for a good purpose so he could preserve the lives of many people, as you can see this day. So God is opening doors we haven't even arrived at yet. He's not limited by our understanding. And we can be like the... The little girl who's sitting in the hallway one day and she's reciting the alphabet and her father asks her, honey, what are you doing? You know, A, B, C, D, E. She says, I'm praying to God. And he says, well, honey, it sounds to me like, like you're just reciting the alphabet. She says, well, I, I don't really know what to say, so I'm just giving God all the letters and I'm going to let Him put it together. Yeah, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And so one of the greatest inventions, I think, of our... Lifetime is probably autocorrect. It's also a, it's a booger too. How many of you have been the victim of autocorrect? I got no examples for you this morning, but you've probably been the victim of autocorrect on something, message that you sent. The Holy Spirit is the Christian's autocorrect for prayer, and He never messes up. He never sends the wrong message, ever. The Holy Spirit takes your I don't know what to say prayer, and He takes your I don't know what to. Do prayer. And he takes your, I'm tired of this happening prayer. And he takes it and he says, God, I know what they said, but here's what they meant. 
That's what the Spirit does for us. And if they could see, God, if they could see what no eye hath seen, if they could hear what no ear hath heard, if they could understand what no mind has been able to comprehend or imagine, then this is what they would have asked for. And so He lays that at the Father's feet. And so the Holy Spirit of God will take your prayer and He will give it to the Father in harmony with the Father's will. Because we do not pray to let God know what we want. We really don't. We pray so that God can help us learn what He wants. Which is why Satan is very involved in your prayer life. He is. And why, why, when you start to pray with something in your heart, you can hear this little voice whispering, what good is it going to do? Go do something. Why, why are you even bothering with this? That's Satan using that voice. And Satan knows he cannot stop an army on its knees. So King Herod goes on a little later to make a great speech. Takes way too much credit. God strikes him with worms and Herod dies. But the Word of God kept on increasing and multiplying. Ripples across the landscape. Beyond doubts. Beyond fears. Beyond disappointments. Beyond human limitation. Kept moving. Led by faith. In the great I am. So this morning, I ask you, where's your faith? Where is your faith? Where in your life does your faith need to be strengthened? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. We don't read this as history. We read this to help us understand in our human way how, why, when, what God will do according to His will. And that builds our faith. We are assembled here this morning on April Fool's Day not to say, ha ha, just kidding. The tomb is stone still rolled over there. No, we're not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not an April Fool's joke. The tomb is still empty. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And He will reign forever. And He wants to reign with us. That's our inheritance through God's Spirit. And so this morning, where in your life does your faith need to be strengthened? Is it your prayer life? I hope you have seen today that if you don't know what to pray, if you don't know when to pray, if you don't know how to pray, you're very human. It doesn't make you less a disciple of Christ. It makes you someone looking to be more like Him. And we want to pray with you and encourage you this morning to strengthen your prayer life. Perhaps there's some sin in your life that you've been harboring, hiding, holding on to. Afraid to let go of. What are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of, of those who have associated you with it. And so now when, when you separate from that sin, you're going to have to separate from that relationship. And that's scary. Especially if you've been dependent in some way upon it. But I can assure you, you will need nothing other than the all-sufficiency of the healing and cleansing of Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you were ready to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to confess His name, to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, to be raised up out of the tomb of the water into a new life, to receive the gift of God's Spirit. As we have read about the, the beautiful working and promise of the Spirit today, we want to celebrate with you, rejoice with you in your decision. If we can help you in any way, we're going to stand and sing a song. Will you come?